Welcome to the Life as an Observer podcast. My name is Ryan Bean. I am your host in self-observation. This podcast is an exploration of physical and non-physical self through discussion around yoga, meditation, self-improvement, self-realization, and practices that elevate the mind-body-soul connection. Let's start observing. Hello, welcome to Life as an Observer. Today, it's a great honor of meeting with my friend, Katie. Now, Katie Tomasowski is a founder of DeepLine Help and does a lot with Pilates. She does a lot with something called Drynamics. Now, this is what really fed my curiosity, was learning more about Drynamics. This is a coaching tool and group that Katie has founded uh, with clients all over the world who are dedicated to kind of changing their lives through dynamics. What is dynamics, you say? Well, dynamics is a method which is kind of body-centered sobriety is what she calls it, and utilizing this approach to overcome the desire to drink. And through nervous system regulation, through stress tolerance, and just present moment awareness. KD includes things like breath work and different group events to teach this technique. Uh, KD is, is based out of Chicago, but hosts people all over the world. And you just got to tune into this episode because my intro is not doing the justice that I, that I really believe that this topic has. Because I've seen some things really in my own life where becoming sober has improved how I feel, my productivity, and of course, my relationships and interactions with others. I think you're going to like today's episode with Katie. There we go. Well, hello, Katie. Thanks for joining me today on Life as an Observer. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Well, of course, of course, you're always welcome here. So, you know, we um, we just got back from Colorado together and we didn't really I didn't really talk about that on the podcast much, but we got back from Colorado and I will tell you that I was having withdrawals. (laughs) (laughs) I was I was having Colorado withdrawals because um it was still summertime in, in here in, in Southern Utah and well everywhere, but it was still summertime and I was missing those cool nights. You know, I was missing the cool water and um, I don't know there was sort of like this nostalgia from the first time we were there and then we went there again. And those were just uh, kind of listening. We're in Colorado. Well, we were in Silverton, Colorado. And when I was there, I, I, I thought that we were just, I don't know, we we're so isolated from, everything that could possibly bother us right <laughs> yeah it's such a special place and then coming back to chicago o'hare airport as my welcome party it was just like okay <laughs> back you know, to this side of the world it, it, it is and you know when, when i'm there i always think that i'm at this you know massively high elevation but you know when i, I came back and i missed it so i ended up driving up to brian head um which is just only about an hour from saint george where i live 
And Brianhead is at the same elevation, actually. It's, you know, it's almost 12,000 feet there. And I didn't really realize that until I got back. I was like, you know what? I have a really cool mountain within an hour of my house. I can just go to. I don't know why I like love that one so much, but you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this poet. His name is Young Pueblo. You ever oh, yes. to him? Yes, sir. Well, he he lives in Manhattan. And did not know he, that. He was in an interview, you know, he's all peaceful and calm and talks about all these wonderful things about relationships and change. And they said, But you live in Manhattan. Why? And he said, It's a perfect uh, practice grounds for me to, to, to be in for my own, uh, mindfulness. So yes, yeah. Chicago has its, um, uh, contrast, but it also has its benefits and that's why you're there. Right. So, uh, yeah. How, Interestingly how enough, the first time I meditated, I, it was a virtual thing and I had a kitten at the time and my daughter was like younger and I was getting so, um, annoyed because I wanted to have a perfect meditation. And my guide was like, you need meditation to be in your reality. So you want to be able to drop in and out based on where you are. You don't live on a mountaintop. So. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I, I did a little, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon. I uh, did a little introduction of you here at the beginning of, of the podcast, you know, that you do a lot you know, with Pilates and movement and kind of getting people into their bodies and kind of forgetting about, well, what's happening around them, at least for a minute along with that, but, you know, practicing breath work, which you and I are both kind of on the, the language of, of breath as our breath of choice to teach. Um, but there's a lot of other things that you do there in Chicago. And, and, you know, I think I told you this when we were maybe maybe it wasn't the first time we met, but I told you I was in Chicago when I ran Chicago Marathon. I did that twice. Yes. And I was. Uh, I was lost when I first got there. I'll just be really real. I was lost and I wanted to kind of navigate my way around the city. Not that I was going to need to like know where to go because you're on a racetrack, right? You're on this race path. But I got on. I'm going to butcher this, but basically I was on the subways. I was on the trains. I was moving. Yeah, the L. The L. I was on the <laughs> L and I wanted to go from one part of town into another. And I remember going by houses that were, I thought they were just going to reach out and touch the L. I mean, that's how close they were, <laughs> yeah. these apartments. And then I got into the area where the bean is, which, you know, my, my last name is Bean. And so I thought it was very ironic that I had to take a picture there. Yes. And so I did that. And then I went out and did what all people do before a race is they either eat heavy amounts of pizza. So they get the carbs or they eat uh, pastas, you know, and I, I went out for pastas and then I prepared for my race the next day. Now I went to go for running and remember I told you I was lost, <laughs> yeah. but, but I didn't think I'd get lost on this race track. but I got to this point where I was near the arena and there was no one around. I mean, there was like 40,000 runners, but at this point in town, for some reason, there was no uh, crowd. There was no crowd there cheering people on. And maybe it's just because it's this part of town that it's in and people are like, I did not want to hang out over there. But I felt this sense of, I mean, I might've been 15 miles into my race at that point, you know, running for hours. And even though it was maybe not the most scenic, you know, or the most trees, but I really did feel a sense of peace of being mm -hmm. kind of there and just hearing my footsteps, just hitting the asphalt and just running. 
And then I came to a point where I hit I really hit a wall, which I think I thought I wasn't gonna be able to quit. Cause it's the only part in the race where there's a little bit of an uphill. You have to go over a couple bridges to go over I believe, mm. rivers and whatever. So you have to go and, and it was extremely difficult. Whereas the prettiest parts of Chicago were at the very beginning and the easiest parts. And I don't think I really got to appreciate them in the way that I did when I was at this point of exhaustion. And I, I, I think that as we instruct yoga and Pilates, we kind of understand that, that those exercises are not necessarily, yes, they do benefit our bodies, but they're really to take us out of our thoughts. Yeah. To bring us into a place of appreciation. And I, I don't, I'm not as, as versed in what you are with Pilates. And I'd like to hear a little bit about how you do that, especially with, cause you work a lot with prenatal, right. And, 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 and some of the mothers and, and so forth. And I'd like to hear a little bit about how you use Pilates to do what I just described and taking people out of their thoughts. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Pilates for a long time before I started learning more about interoception through the language of breath and that word, um, I became aware that there was so many elements of the physical body to be conscious of at one time. And that when I personally was dropped in to those uh, many elements at once. In fact, in Pilates, there's something called the internal shower, where if you're really like in essentially tensegrity through every part of your fascia system is, is active, you feel this full body connected sensation. It's kind of the same idea as having awareness of your full body at once, but through an active move, uh, through a movement-based uh, approach. And so, um, in Pilates, some, sometimes it can feel a little bit picky because we are having awareness of our feet at the same time we're having awareness of our arms and we're trying to feel our inner thighs and, and find the routes from one place to the next so we feel the system organized as one. Um, that's how I teach anyways. And so um, it was an incredible thing to start to get into breath work and particularly the language of breath and start to learn more about interoception and why on earth that is so beneficial to the way that people are feeling when they're moving. And in my experience, the only time people hurt themselves in movement is when there's fear, tension, worry, when they are in their conscious thought about their body, about fears about their body, um, certainly related to moms. Yes, I do work uh, with postnatal, prenatal people as well. And there's a lot of myths about what they're allowed to do and what's safe. And um, we really, uh, we really stress them out a little bit more than we need to. So building trust and then allowing that trust to be the, the foundation of building that full body awareness through movement. And I don't think it's much different than yoga in that way, um, except there's different exercises and there's different machines and the machines can be wonderful teachers. And um, it's still that, that thought, or it can be that bring yourself completely into your body. There's no way you can be worried about what your sister or your boyfriend or your dad said, if you are in that space of full body awareness and being able to let that go, it teaches you something. It stays with yeah. you for at least a little while. I think those, uh, those machines, so the, the, the machines I think you're referring to is like the reformers, right? Yes, yes. Yes. So in our studio, we, in the studio that I teach yoga and the yoga teacher training, we do have performers. Um, I don't teach those classes. I'm not certified to, to do those, but we do have several instructors who do. And 
they they're kind of intimidating looking. Yeah, you know, they are. Though they have the wall and then they have the thing that slides back and forth and the different bands and the different blocks and all the you know the different things and they can be intimidating. And I think many at least most people are familiar with going to a gym and utilizing certain pieces of equipment. They're used to, you know, I know what a dumbbell is. I know what a barbell is. I know what a treadmill is. I'm very familiar with, you know, some of these different machines that, that we use. People look at reformers and go, I have no idea what to do with that. And I, I thinking you're going to echo this with me is, is you really need to take a class. Don't, don't just be like, Hey, I'm going to go get on one of those. Having someone to guide you, this applies to breath work. This applies to the, to, uh-huh. you know, to, to reformers replies to, to get someone to help you because your, your chances of amping up that training are, are dramatically increased when you actually have someone who's showing you don't just watch a YouTube video, go in and say, Hey, I'd like to get on that machine. I heard that it'll improve my life. I heard it on life as an observer. And I heard Katie talking about how I need to get on this machine. So tell me, I know that there is mat Pilates. There is, I think, a bar version of Pilates also that you can utilize. And then there's also the reformer. So talk to me about the differences and how they relate to getting more specific. You said you have to like focus on hands and inner thighs. And tell me about the differences and what people should look for in that. Well, there are there really are a lot of things. Pilates, um, there's a whole schism and Pilates between contemporary and classical Pilates. And I won't get into that, but there's a lot of drama there. Um, And Joseph Pilates, who created Pilates, he has a certain um, repertoire of exercises and he designed all of the equipment. But as we've, it's been, you know, a hundred years, people have come up with new ideas and they've changed the equipment sometimes and they've changed the exercises. I love all of it. I think it's a wonderful tool. I love the classical work. I love the contemporary work. So going into Pilates, I, I think the most important thing is to work with a teacher who's skilled. So take a group class and get a feeling of how you feel. If you feel worried, stressed out, um, there's some gatekeeper type, uh, like anything sort of like old school ballet teachers or something, and they can make you feel like uh, a little bit nervous. I don't think that's a good way to go. I don't think that's motivating. I think we want to have our connective tissue, our nervous system relaxed while we're moving through these movements. And so I always look for a teacher that I, I feel like doesn't over cue where I don't feel like I'm able to move because it's I'm getting a, a lecture before each movement. Um, and that also helps me feel confident in class. So that's all you're just looking for. Get a sense of the experience with that teacher. Um, even somebody that's a new teacher can can have those qualities. Um, and then Matt Pilates is what a lot of people start with because it's more affordable. You're going to see that all over the place. Um, But I would recommend uh, exploring a studio that has equipment because it really does teach you how to connect into the body. So Pilates is interesting because you might just be able to lift your arm like anyone knows how to lift their arm up. But the body is going to choose the easiest path. It's going to choose the path that saves the most energy, the path that it's used to. And in Pilates, what we're trying to do is teach you how to connect your arm into your center. And that's a different experience. And that can be challenging for people to learn. And so Having a strap, having a spring, it really um, requires you to be connected or you can't lift it 
or your machine will will not move. And there's a, a machine called the low chair, which is like people really don't like the low chair, but it is the best teacher in my opinion, because you cannot do, it won't move unless you're connected. You can't kind of fake it or bully I it. I got to see if we have muscle. one of those. I don't know if we have a low chair, but if we do, I think I- It's like a box with a spring out the side. So that's I think I need to look chair. into that because I, well, I'm teaching tonight. I'll have to go see if we have one of those. <laughs> Check it out. I, I can like give you a virtual it. session sometime if you want to try that one. It's pretty wild. <laughs> so, you know, movement we know is going to be, you know, this amazing way to, to kind of get into the body, to get out of the head. And I think that's yeah. kind of where we- um, at least, at least in yoga, there's a, uh, there's a book, it's called Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And in the Yoga Sutras, they talk about what yoga is. And there's only one verse in that particular book that says that it has anything to do with movement. And in, in that particular verse, it says that yoga, in Sanskrit, it says this, but it basically says that yoga should be um, steady and comfortable. And that's really what it mm. sounds like Pilates is, is really saying, don't force anything, just be steady and comfortable in that posture, that movement, that whatever it is. And, and then we get to the end of a class and you, you have a little bit of stillness. And I find that in that last moment of classes where people really uh, have the hardest time is in finding stillness within their minds. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they, you can be easily distracted by, you know, pulling on springs and moving on boxes and moving through you know, sun salutations and focusing on the breath. But the hardest part is really what happens in the head. And that continues outside of the yoga studio. So I'm sort of segueing into where I found myself when I was living in downtown Orlando, you know, when I was living there and I was very, uh, if I was alone one evening, <laughs> then I would certainly be looking to go outside to one of the mini bars that I could walk to. I'd say, I am not going to be in my head. I'm not going to sit here at home in this, you know, room, even though it's really funny the way rent is. I don't know what it's like in Chicago, but basically it's a very expensive place to store your stuff because you don't really want to stay at the house alone. You want to get out and be somewhere. So it's really where you're paying, you know, several thousand dollars a month to store your things. And so I found myself in a place where I was, you know, you know, Margarita Monday, it was Taco Tuesday, <laughs> yeah. it was Wine Down Wednesday, it was Thirsty Thursday, it was Friday, of course, and then it was Saturday, which you got to do. And then on Friday, on Sundays, we would have Bloody Marys and burgers. And so we were finding ourselves drinking socially every night of the week. Yeah. And, you know, even in those states, you'd say, Oh, I'm not an alcoholic, because I'm just I'm just being social. I just don't want to be in my house. I don't want to go out. I, right. know, I, I don't, sorry, I don't want to stay in. I want to go out because I don't want to be there. Otherwise I'll just sit and drink at home. But like, so we'd go out and do that. And through my, I, I'll even just call it my path of awakening, awakening to that the things are different than I had once been told or shown um, that I found that I was even more disconnected as I was drinking. I was even less connected to those tissues you talk about. I just recently took a, a fascia class and I was learning about fascinating fascia because it really is. I was so fascinated mm -hmm. by how deep of an exploration you can go with just fascia alone and how that affects us. And so drinking alcohol spirits actually disconnected me from who I was, but put me in a place of being social. And I I know that you that you uh, have an organization. Now we we were joking about this earlier because <laughs> I call it 
dynamics uh, because you know this is where i'm from but you call it dynamics because you're from chicago so it's your it's your organization you can call it whatever you want but <laughs> but it, but so dynamics and um you help individuals um through this challenge uh, i'm guessing it's once a year but you also do individual coaching and i'd, I'd really like to focus on that um because i know that's coming up in uh is it october or november november is when you start yeah well i i first want to say like Yay to you for sort of connecting movement to dynamics. Just we didn't talk about that. And sometimes that's a thing where people are like, how did this become that? Yeah. But it's so connected. So I just love that you you were able to draw that. Um, dynamics, there are things happening in October in locally in Chicago. I'm doing a, an October beach club here at the beach. We're going to do some breath work and jump in the water. Not quite freezing yet. So it's kind of introductory, but more just to get out into nature and have something to do on a Saturday morning um, with other people that are either sober, sober curious or supportive of sobriety. Um, but the actual program starts January. So we do a one month oh. program in January. And then for those who want to continue, we do a deeper dive that lasts 90 days. And then I even have a, a graduates program that finishes the year. And that's a more intimate um, group. And so there's there's these levels that you can go through. And um, yeah, you're very right about alcohol taking us out of ourselves. It's like the there's this confusion because of the way that we're kind of forced to live in this culture, or a lot of times we just grow up and we become this way, um, that while life is kind of annoying, I don't really like it, but my real life is when I'm out having drinks. And so that's where I'm actually myself when I have alcohol. And I don't think people think it's because I have alcohol. It's like, no, because I'm with friends, I'm socializing, I'm talking. But because alcohol is always there, there's a correlation effect that happens when it's or there's, I'm sorry, a causation effect that happens when really it's just a correlation. You're enjoying your time because you're with people you love and you're relaxed in your body at the same time. I'm Alcohol is there. About something. I'm curious about what led you to that. Was it, okay, so I guess I have to kind of tell part of my story first and then I, I'm curious how it led you to. So I work in, in with ketamine, which is a disassociative psychedelic um, anesthetic. We use that as a disassociative so we can disassociate the body from the mind, from the soul, from all the parts and pieces of the nervous system, kind of recreating this default mode network that allows somebody to make a change in their life. And I utilize that disassociative to help people with addictions. People are addicted to alcohol and, and other chemicals, but alcohol, I really feel as though it disassociates us from our truth, from our true essence anyway. So we're using a disassociative from a disassociative, even though some people would say I'm more connected, I'm more aware. I'm, I, I would hesitate and disagree because we know it impairs your judgment. We know that it impairs your reaction time. And we know that people pass out. We've seen it, watch it happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And frankly, now that I've been a practitioner, not just a clinician, but a practitioner of ketamine, I have less of a desire for alcohol. And I'm curious what led you. I mean, when I was in Mexico, I had some margaritas because I was like, yeah, I'm in Mexico. I'm, you know, I'm, I'll have some margaritas, but I, I never, um, you know, I'm not a, a monthly or even 
I would even say quarterly drinker anymore. I don't, you know, I barely ever have anything. Mm -hmm. Even when we were up in, um, up in Silverton, I think uh, I was offered a couple beers and I, I think out of the whole week, I, I was like, I, I sipped on one and I didn't finish it. Don't tell them, don't tell them I put the rest <laughs> of it out. <laughs> I was like, it was okay. But like, I was yeah. like, eh. yeah. So, but I mean, what, I... what led you, what led you to deciding that, um, that Drynamics is, what brings you back home to yourself? Like, what, what can, yeah. can you lead me up to the story that got you there? Because we don't just say, I'm going to create an organization that's going to, <laughs> we, that's not what happens. We, we, <laughs> we, we, transformation comes when we're in places of discomfort. And, yeah. and there must have been some discomfort there that led you to this. There was. And, and to comment on what you said about alcohol being dissociative, uh, ketamine being dissociative. Yes, alcohol is dissociative, but I find that it's, associative with ego and dissociative from mm. true self. So, um, I, my persona when I'm drinking is, uh, which I don't do anymore. So I shouldn't use that in the comment in the present tense, but, um, my persona was loud, brassy, sassy, sarcastic, funny. People loved it. I mean, it was a great, uh, vibe at the bar. Uh, but I would come home and I had a young child and I had a um, very stressful situation with her dad and I was financially unstable and I was uh, very anxious, very depressed. In fact, my um, therapist at one point was uh, throwing out manic depression as a possible thing I would want to investigate. Um, and meanwhile, I was drinking a bottle of wine most nights. And sometimes I would go through good stints when I just would drink on the weekends, but then I'd have two bottles of wine a night on the weekends. And so my life was just not going anywhere. Adulthood felt like crap. And I just thought, I guess this is what it feels like. But I had so many relationships that were really stressful in my life that um, seemed to be getting more stressful. And there was a lot of just sitting around drinking and then getting into arguments and confusions. And I started thinking every time something confusion, confusing or devastating happens in my life, I'm drinking. And I also needed money and I needed time and I had ideas for my business. And so I was like, I'm going to give up alcohol for six months. I'm going to, maybe these people will kind of just quietly fade away that are causing me a lot of stress. And I'm going to spend more time with my kid. I'm going to save money. I'm going to work on my business. And that's all it was for me at first. But when I stopped drinking quite very quickly, I started sleeping like a rock. And I had gone to the doctor about my mm -hmm. sleep problems. And with that sleep improvement came a dramatic reduction in anxiety, a dramatic reduction in depression to the point where it just didn't. Yes, I would get a moment, but it wasn't anything like what I was dealing with. I've, I've used pharmaceuticals at different points as well. Um, and I was like, whoa, do people not know about this? It was kind of like when I discovered Pilates, I feel like one of those people on the corner, like, you know, the Lord will save you with a sign. I'm like, everybody, everybody's anxious. Everybody's depressed. Did you know if mm. you stop drinking, it'll all go away? Not all, but. Um, did you find, did you find Pilates or your sobriety first? Pilates. And that okay. was my first like 
venture. Like I went there for abs because I had a baby and I was like, this is not feeling great in my body. And it was all vanity. But I noticed that every time I did Pilates, I would be way less reactive for about three days. So I have had like a history of really high reactive anger. Um, rage maniac is a term I've <laughs> used for my former way of being. <laughs> you use that? I was, I was wondering if somebody else gave you that title. <laughs> no, I think I made that up. Um, or maybe it may, who knows where these things come from? Maybe, it, maybe somebody said it to me, but um, I noticed that it really helped and I didn't know why, but it was the breath. Pilates very breath heavy. It was yeah. the um, connection to body, the interoception, all that stuff really just um, my body calmed down. So I uh, I was doing the, the non-drinking thing. It was kind of upsetting to people because I guess I wasn't technically bad enough to quit because I wasn't in the, um, I wasn't getting arrested. I wasn't um, having, um, acting poorly at parties and stuff. So people were a little bit annoyed and, but curious. And so I kept having clients asking me and friends and I would be counseling them. And I said, you know, let's just get a group together and let's, let's go through like 15 weeks and we'll have a Pilates class and we'll have meetings. And this was all on zoom before the pandemic. So I got to have a little experience with zoom back in the day, too bad I didn't invest Mm -hmm. in it, but, um, they, uh, really loved it. And that was, I'm, my first group and now I'm coming up on my 10th group. And so it's just continued to grow. It's, it's like contagious. I mean, once people see you feeling and looking good and your life getting better and you're like, what are you doing? And it's like, Oh, I stopped drinking. At first the person's like, I would never do that. That's way too extreme, but it starts an opening. So yeah. Way too extreme is interesting because uh, so right? when I, when I was, when I was drinking the way that I was, I was, that's when I was running marathons. Crazy, right? It's when I was running marathons. So I would, you know, run and then I'd be like, well, I can afford, you know, I can, I can, I can, because I just ran. Right. It cancels it out. We put on the I just ran eight miles. Yeah. I just ran eight miles. I can go have some drinks tonight. I'm totally okay to do that. I can have burgers if I want. And that was kind of my, my thought process. But I I remember I was going to the gym. Now this is where my vanity was. I was going to the gym. I'd make sure that I was tanning at the time I had. Tanning. I cannot imagine you doing that, Ryan. (laughs) <laughs> I actually had hair at the time and I had, uh, I'd spike it up. I had a little man bun at one point. Yeah. yeah. I could so see I was, it with a man bun, but, uh, but that's, so that's, that's where my vanity was. And I was working harder to feel good now. Whereas my exercise now, I mean, I still, I still go rock climbing. I still snowboard. I do some of this outdoor things, but really my exercise is yoga and hiking. That's all I really do for exercise now. And I would tell you that I feel better in my body. It may not have all the, the great shades of brown with my tanning. And, you know, I may, I may not be as ripped or, you know, my less body fat or what, but I feel better in my body. Uh-huh. And I feel more confident in my body. And I think feeling more confident in my body, um, that is getting over what the ego thinks the body should look like because yes, I may have had better abs or more tan then, but I feel more confident now. I don't mind, you know, you know, taking my shirt off to go get in the lake or whatever. I just feel totally fine. And, you know, there's a really interesting, you know, play on words with, with alcohol and that it's a spirit, right. That it's a spirit. Mm -hmm. and We can can take that down many, many roads and where that came from. I think that's, there's a lot of like wives tales and urban legends where that came from, but I can tell you that it certainly 
makes me feel as though something has come into my body as like a spirit. When I, when I do that, I really do. I, I remember being angry. I remember this, this is going to make you laugh. I used to be the guy who wanted to pick fights with people. Can you believe yeah. that? That was, that was, I mean, I, that's definitely not me now. Right. But you know, that's who I was. Or I was the guy who was always wanting to buy shots because it would be, um, you know, I was more, uh, you know, popular, popular with the ladies if you had shots. And so that's kind of what I did. And so I was far removed from my mind and far removed from what I feel the most healthy in. So, you know, regardless of how people get there, there's people who are searching for that. They're searching for, in yoga, we use this, well, in yoga, but also in, in Hinduism, they talk about this, but your dharma, right? Like, what is your, what is, why are you here? What is your purpose? What is, why did you have this life, right? And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people go mm -hmm. down this really deep hole of alcoholism when they don't know their purpose. They don't really understand their purpose or where do I find my purpose? Or what if I don't have a purpose? And so that instead of doing other work, which is like what we teach about interoception and really turn, tuning into the unconscious self, they say, well, if I drink this bottle, It'll take me X amount of time. And by that time, I'll be ready to go to sleep. And then I can go tomorrow and do it the next day. And, and we go on and on and on. But coming to our true self or our Dharma really takes that clarity of mind. It really takes saying, well, I don't know what my purpose in life is, but I'm willing to find it. And it sounds like you came to a breaking point where you said, I need to do something. I mean, I, this is not working, obviously. It's not working. I'm not finding what I want. I'm not happy still. And there might've been some depression there. There's a big difference between sadness and depression, but, you know, uh, I think many times they work together. You know, I, uh, sadness is about what happened to you usually. And depression is like when the body just says, I am just not interested in playing this character anymore. I'm not interested in this position in my life anymore. And I refuse to play that role. And that's kind of where I was at when I moved to India. You know, that's where I was mm -hmm. at. Not, not everybody can do that, though. And many people look for people. Like, not everybody can move to India, but you can stop drinking. It's almost the right. same experience. <laughs> so moving to India did, did that for me because there was no alcohol there and I could eat, you know, vegan meals. And But many people can't do that. And that's where people like you come into place. And you say, well, I have a program and I can help you find your purpose, but we have to do this. So when someone comes to you and says, this is what, this is what my life looks like. I just kind of spilled mine out. They say, Katie, I need your help. I heard you do stuff with helping people get sober and you do Pilates. And I don't know, you seem pretty happy. You seem pretty, you know, friendly. I think I could give this a chance. How do people contact you? How do they start with you? Like, what does a program look like with you? Like, where do they start day one? Well, there's a lot of inroads um, to working with me. And I think that most people these days are coming in through that like big group dynamic January experience because it's um, affordable and it's not a long commitment and you get to get a taste of a lot of this stuff is very um, unusual. Like 
talking about things like interoception, like that's not something I put in my marketing because that's just not going to connect. So we keep it really kind of light and folks come in that way. And then as they start working with me, they're like, whoa, this is like really deep. Because when you're talking about your um, body confidence and your confidence in general, part of that is because when you stop drinking, I guarantee you, you had many many interactions where you thought, oh, like feels like I'm being told to drink right now, but I don't actually want to. So I'm not going to, that actually takes courage. And it might be a micro or macro courage, depending on your specific desire level and sensitivity to alcohol, but it is a huge act of courage that's done again and again and again. And confidence is only a memory of past success of past courage. So, um, that is where some of that came from. And so as people start working with me and they start seeing that this isn't just about rah, rah, count your days, um, hold steady white knuckle, you know, 31 more days, and then we're going to get drunk together. There's a lot of fitness, October, sober October and dry January cleanses that are all like the carrot at the end of the stick is you get to get drunk again. That doesn't, we don't even count days in my program because quite frankly, some people are not going to get more than five days in a row. Everybody's starting at a different point. Some people breeze through it, no problem. And so I don't like counting days because it puts this competition edge and it's really not what it's about. It's about how many challenges do you face in a day not to drink? If you've faced 30 challenges in five days and this other person has gone 30 days with three challenges, I don't know who's further along. It doesn't matter. You're just putting yourself out there and staying supported while you do that. And so people come into the group program and then as the groups get longer, the it gets more um, intimate. And then I do have one-on-one uh, coaching as well. So folks that choose not to do a group experience with me, I do a holistic fitness program. Um, it can include dynamics if somebody wants that, but I do also just work with people, um, especially those with chronic illness, chronic pain, injury to get themselves back to movement, all virtual. Um, yeah, that's what I was wondering. This definitely could be virtual. They don't, virtual. Have, they don't have to be in Chicago to, to come see you. No. Yeah. No. And alcohol use, as a form of chronic pain, really, uh, alcohol use, when you, when you break it down a little bit about like the feeling, you know, when you, when you're uncomfortable, you're stressed out, you're nervous, you're awkward, you're excited, you're happy, whatever the feeling is like, it's like, well, let's have alcohol now. And, um, when we're doing that again and again, and we take it away, the feeling that's replaced when we don't react with alcohol is anxiety. Right. We get ang- we get anxious because we want to have a drink and we're not comfortable in our bodies. Anxiety that's that's chronic is a form of chronic pain. So I mm. go after this drinking element in the same way that I approach people that have a, a hip problem that has no problem. They've gotten the MRI, they've gotten the PT, yet their pain still persists. And I'm sure you've worked with many people who oh, have yeah. I mean, that's definitely, a, you know, that's definitely, you know, the nervous system um, yes. yeah. sort of hanging on to a pain that happened. You know, I'll, I'll hear all the time people who say stories like, I would go on that hike, but I have a bad hip. And you would say, well, do you have a bad hip? Or did you have a hip injury 10 years ago yeah. in which you still repeat the story to you, yes. you still, you, you still, 
regurgitate the same inadequacies that you know once we're there i remember at one point i was in corporate life a little bit and we would have you know these these meetings right we'd have these dinner meetings one of them happened to be in dallas texas really interesting as a vegan um to go to the best steakhouse in town and of course they come and they ask you what you want to eat and i'm like oh, i guess i'm eating like off the kitty menu you know i don't there's there's nothing here that i can really eat and then of course before all that you got to have your drinks first because how are we going to have a a meeting without alcohol how will we how will we actually open up the lines of communication if there's blockages and i think that's just a story we keep telling ourselves yes there are some walls that fall down when you drink but it, there's also other tools that you can utilize rather than crutches and i think that's really kind of what that is in those instances is a crutch to say, well, this is how we get from A to B rather than actually there's some other tools that get us there. And so you and I, you and I teach breath work. We teach breath work as one of those tools to lowering anxiety and um, to helping people realize that they are their own alchemist in that way where they, when they feel a certain way, it's about being aware they feel that way first and navigating their way through that by interoception sure i see it i feel it i know where it's coming from i understand the chemical out, out, output of that um but, but i want what i want like i guess i'm going to turn that over to you a little bit is part of dynamics and you're offering these challenges essentially you're not necessarily saying we're cutting it we're not doing it lay a style we're not you know you can have you know you can do whatever you want at the end this is a challenge for now just to show you that you're mindset right it's mindset work yeah it's saying i am mindset talk to me a little bit about how breath work gets intertwined into to dynamics as a tool yeah um so when when people come to dynamics and i've had had people ask me well what if you know what if somebody is addicted what if somebody is um uh, needing a higher level of care. And certainly this can be a partner within other uh, frameworks of, of support. But my, my requirement when you come into dynamics is that you're not, you don't feel powerless to drinking, that you are making a choice. You might not understand why you're making the choice and you might wish you didn't make the choice, but you feel you are making a choice. And so when we get to the place with back to the nervous system, right? You're like, I'm not going to drink. I'm going on this date. I'm not going to drink. And you sit down, dates feeling a little uneasy and you're programmed to uh, make it better for everybody around you all the time. And you're not feeling like you have the energy to do that. You don't have the feel, feeling the energy to be like the supporter of the world. So um, because you're uncomfortable with allowing yourself to be in peace because that feels dysregulating to be quiet, to be still, mm. to be a listener. Um, the body is freaking out. And so what I encourage and train people to do, and we start every meeting with some few minute of breath work thing is to leave and go to the bathroom and you're going to do a sniff, sniff, poo, or a cadence of bliss, or a square breath, which you can even do, you know, some of these while you're sitting there listening, quote unquote, <laughs> and trying to calm your body down. And so in those two, three minutes of breath, you come back and you're able to exist again. And then you come to breath work every week, we have a, a breath work session as a community each week as well. 
because yes, breath work can be great in those moments, but also we want to take time to have the longer sessions because as you know, for those who have trouble meditating because they're just too active in their mind and body, breath work can really hack the system a little bit and allow you to drop into a deeper meditation for a period of time and teach your body that it is okay to be yeah. safe. It is okay to be still because that's a big thing that people, they get um, exuberance dysmorphia, I call it. They think I'm just so lame now. I'm so boring now. And I'll be hanging out with these people. I'm like, if this is you lame and boring, like I wouldn't want to see you drunk because you would be obnoxious. Like you are vivacious and alive and mm. wonderful. But when we're used to a certain way of being, we start to feel really self-conscious that we're just like a wet blanket. It doesn't help that our brain chemistry is still recovering. So our perception is off. But, um, but yeah, so we do the breath work so that you start to have more time between stimulus and response, more time between I'm stressed out, I'm getting the wine. Like you're able to pause there and, and ask yourself that question, what feeling would I have to feel right now if I didn't drink? Or what am I thinking and believing that drinking will do for me? And is that true? Just be rational. Is it true? And when people do examine it from a holistic perspective, not just, oh, it, it will relax me. Alcohol relaxes me. It might for two hours, but what about your sleep that night? What about how you're mm -hmm. interacting with your child or partner the next day? What about your job the next day when you cancel a meeting because you're not feeling, you know, like, is that yeah. relaxing, right? From a holistic perspective. So I just try to encourage people to get that space created. And breath work is such a good tool for that to just get people in their bodies in that way. Yeah, you mentioned a, a couple of the, the techniques of the language of breath that, that some people may not be, be familiar with, but th th there is, you know, a, a more hypoxic or maybe even a super ventilative breath that sometimes we use to kind of just get the heart rate going, add some adrenaline. And then then we use another one, which could be uh, to downregulate, especially if the heart rate is going too fast and you're saying I need to downregulate. And so in the in the breath work that you teach it's not just one technique that this will fix everything it's saying well first of all what's actually happening i heard you say that about what was actually happening with the alcohol what's actually happening what do i need to make changes in so i feel better and what 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 is my desired outcome if i to feel you know when i feel better and we utilize certain breath work to do that and that's you know we teach that through the language of breath i was as you were talking about alcohol doing this, I, I thought about it. Some people do that with caffeine though, too, right? They haven't, they have like this expect, I heard, they, yes. expected like out result. Like I will feel more uh, energy and I'll feel more focused, but you know, I think that that, that is also sort of in the same category that we don't necessarily I mean, for me, like I don't, I'm not much of a coffee drinker, but when it gets cold, I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And I kind of like the taste and it's great. Not much of a, I, I'll drink my teas and stuff, but I think that we kind of have this dysmorphia about how caffeine makes us feel too, because I Amen. know ice baths do the same thing. If I take an ice bath in the morning and I do my breath work that I feel just as good, you know? I think I heard you talking about caffeine on one of your podcasts I was listening to. And I was like, oh, okay, Ryan's not on the caffeine train either. And I was a cat. 
especially when I stop drinking and I hesitate to talk smack about caffeine because <laughs> I already am on my island with alcohol. So I am like not saying don't drink caffeine, but when do people do start dynamics? I tell them for sure, like just be mindful of your caffeine intake because you might not need what you've normally had because it's a dance yeah. between caffeine and alcohol. And I see it in the world of parenting, these parents that are so hyper caffeinated and there's this like pressure to be like everything your kid does. And it's super psychotic. And I don't think it teaches these kids like they're going to be questioning that something's wrong with them because they're not that excited because kids are natural and like they're going to grow up and be like a normal teenager and think that they have depression because they've got like the most literally cracked out <laughs> caffeine yeah. parents ever. And it's just, it's a lot, like it's not necessary. So I gave up caffeine about six months ago and mm. I was angry. Like it, it was doing a lot more than I realized. And, and I will say, I, um, yeah, I don't want to go back to it because it becomes something you're dependent on. It's like cigarettes where it solves a problem that it creates. See, I was, uh, I would, interestingly enough, I combined the two. So my drink usually of choice was an energy drink with vodka. That was my, and we, yeah. we did it, we did it where I, we used to mix like pre workout. Pre workout, yeah. I know. Alcohol. And gross. You know, like the little, the little energy shots. And we would, you know, drink half of it, fill the rest of it up with vodka, and then take the, those as, as our thing. And God, our poor liver and kidneys. I know. And, and babies. And, it was really interesting to, you know, when I wasn't really drinking anymore, but to still feel this dependency, I suppose, to my physical output related to caffeine. So if I'm going to teach a power yoga class, I probably need some caffeine. And if I'm going to be speaking on stage, I need to be more uh, enthusiastic and energized. And that was really a false pretense that took me some time to get over um, that I could, you know, go into, you know, the other room and do like a, a Kabbalah Bahadi practice with, you know, a good hypoxic breath, you know, active exhale, get the adrenaline going and then do a nice hypoxic breath, big oxygenation, less CO2 release, feeling the adrenaline, and then I could go on stage. And so, you know, before I did my my TED talk earlier this year, we I had the whole group doing breath work. There was people sitting there with their coffee, people sitting there with their Red Bulls, mm -hmm. and people, you know, they're ready. You know, and I was like, well, what if that actually makes you more nervous? Yes, you might be more enthusiastic, but but what if that actually makes you more nervous and you forget your talk? <laughs> playing a little advocate there and sure enough people were like well i'll do anything that'll work well what's going to work and i was like well if i had an ice bath here i'd put you in an ice bath but we, we we can't do that here you know we can't do that here at the stage but you know that making some changes um even if it is so tell me i guess, I guess what i'm leading this to is the outline of the program is it always a month is it a week is it a year what is the the desired result because i think people can make some small changes yeah by create so really who we think we are our personality right our personality uh -huh. is a list of our what starts with our our routine or our habits and our routines those things then become our personality and to change our personality we need to change our routines and our habits and so i think that's kind of what the 
the core of Dynamics is, is let's change a couple things for this period of time. So talk to me about the structure yeah. and, <laughs> and uh, time periods in which people can participate. Yeah. So um, when you're in Dynamics, there's a weekly Dynamics meeting. We come together as a group. Um, I educate in that space um, and there's always space for feedback. And then we have two support spaces every week, a meditation and a breathwork mm. support space. And those are, you show up as much as you want. You know, some people are just going to come to the meetings. Some people are going to come to everything. It's sort of what you're ready for. Um, and that first level of commitment is one month. So that's for my detoxers. That's for my people who like have no interest in stopping drinking, but they're like, wow, the holidays were a little intense. I want to really like maybe eventually not drink as much as I do, but not quite ready to tackle that. I want to give myself a month. Um, Often that's where everybody is when they sign up mm. um, because this isn't a, a recovery program and it's not, it's not put out that way either. And then I have the 90-day program. And I, I always used to have just the 90-day program, but I would get detoxers in there that really weren't interested in going deeper. And it was kind of like a mismatch. So I, I wanted to create something to get people started and have a really good grasp on a tool they could use quarterly, once a year, just like some people do a, a liver cleanse or something like that, or a detox. Like here's, a, here's another way to, to have something like that in your life. So that is the one month. Uh, framework. If you decide to go to the 90 day framework, um, there's a few extras included in that. And um, you are committed for the full 90 days. And that level is like, you know, you're, you're not trying to detox, you actually are on the journey of becoming a non drinker, you realize that like, it's a practice, just like yoga, you might go to a retreat or do live in India for a few months or something like that. Uh, and you'll have times where you're more or less engaged in your yoga practice. Well, people that are in that gray area of drinking, they're also more or less engaged in their sobriety at different times. So you come to the 90 days because you're like, I really want to be engaged. I want to feel what it feels like to actually cleanse my organs, which doesn't happen after a month. A month is the beginning, mm. but really to get that liver cleanse, that, that gut cleanse, a lot of it's more like six months, but three months will give you a lot. Like you'll get to the pink cloud as they call it, where it's almost like you're microdosing mm. mushrooms or something. Like everything is just a little fluffier, uh, a little sweeter. You, you're just moved by reality. Um, so that's what are some of those months. like biomarkers that you guys know, like the liver cleanse. Like what is, how do you. Well, we work with a holistic nutritionist. Yeah, I'm amazing. And she, um, she has given us sort of like everybody's different, but here's the amount of time that your cells regenerate to like, basically you, you get like a whole new body every seven years to, to mm. some degree, but like your gut microbiome is going to take six months to two years, depending on how, like if you have leaky gut or some serious stuff going on in your gut, that's going to take more time. And it's going to take more than just getting rid of alcohol, to be honest. But um, the alcohol component could take six months to two years. Mm. The liver is like, I don't remember how many months because this isn't my my wheelhouse on that. But um, we don't measure it particular. Like okay. we don't have anyone do blood you tests. So I have had yeah. clients happen to like see their doctor at the beginning and then get their markers three yeah. months later and report back. Oh my God, my doctor is so happy. Everybody's doctors are happy. Everybody's therapists are happy. I shouldn't say everybody's doctors because I've had multiple people's doctors tell them 
to drink, which is concerning, but yeah, like many where their doctor was like, you know, I just think like maybe the person went into their doctor and said, this is really hard. I'm having a hard time with not drinking. And the doctor probably was being sympathetic. And I think maybe protecting their own drinking habit, who knows, but Mm. have encouraged them. Like you really should just have a few drinks. You know, it's not bad for your health to have a couple drinks, which is not true. Um, It's always neurotoxic. It's always a class one carcinogen. And um, yeah, so it's, there's been interesting, but for the most part, doctors love it because people's outcomes are just doing so they're doing so much better. If you're on an antidepressant and you're drinking, that kind of a really messes with your liver and kidneys and B doesn't let the drug do its job. So people will come off the alcohol and be like, wow, I can actually feel my medication doing what it's supposed to do. And that's across the board with a lot of different medications. Um, so there's the three months we have the one month let that's your dip your toes in, come in, have some fun. And from there you have to do the one month. I have to know you before you come to the three months. Cause it is more intimate. Um, and then from the three month, we have people that go like, I'm good. Like I'm a non-drinker. We have other people that go, I'm going to go on my own. I might drink. I might not. Maybe I'll see you in a year or two for another practice. I don't know. I'm, I'm good though right now. And then we have other people who say, I don't want to drink, but this is still really hard. So they come into the graduates program and they stay through the end of the year. I've had people come for multiple years and just kind of stay in the flow. And it's, it's available for what you know you need. And there's value to going through the program, coming back to dynamic January as sort of an elder elder or mentor. <laughs> um, it's a really positive experience to teach others what you've been through. It's part of the learning. So it sounds yeah, it, like it sounds like the the community is kind of the I don't know, it, it's it's the main thing that 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 people learn on an unconscious level from, I mean, yes, there is the tools and yes, there's you and yes, there's the program and all the different, but from, from this perspective of, of me offering ketamine therapy to people, the first session is not what, I mean, it'll, it'll disrupt patterns immediately, but it doesn't, it's not long lasting. People have to come back for another session. And, and, and what we're really trying to get them to do is going back to what we just said, we're trying to get them to create new routines and habits in those times in which their mind mm-hmm. is susceptible to change. So, and that's where we create integration groups and we do all these things because there is a very finite amount of time in which the, those new neurons are, are, are taking that information and where the synapse of the, is being uh, blocked or the antagonist of ketamine is there. So in your application, it sounds like yeah, I can give you all these tools, but if you don't go home and apply it, then really nothing happens. They can come to dynamics, you know, classes and workshops, but if they do nothing, they go home and go, okay, well, that's wine time. It's wine down Wednesday. Well, or conversely, Ryan, if they don't go out, if they don't have a date, if they don't, uh, talk to their friend about the thing that's bothering them that they would normally only bring up when drunk, like that's the problem. Like I see is where people want to hide those are the times it doesn't last. Like you do have to go out and do some reps in the real world. And you might not like sitting at a bar and you don't have to sit at a bar, but you do have to be social and you do have to get out of the house. Like you can only clean your closet so many times you, you want to live and you want to experience this. And that's your integration. Like you're um, like with ketamine, like you've got to go out and, and do the stuff in this new way and see how it feels and then come back and talk to us about it. Yeah. Creating new and new patterns. And, 
you know, we, we talked about that in the language of breath as, as, you know, the, the healthiest self is really a team, right? The, the, our, we're, we're not fighting against ourselves. We're not trying to say this way is better than this way necessarily. It's, but we're not working together. Okay. We're just not working together. There is a disconnect of thought between the thought and what is felt and what's felt, what is thought. And we're, there's a disconnect there where we're just going immediately to reactionary states rather than saying, I can sit with this discomfort. I remember when I was on a business trip, I, um, well, I've went on a lot of them, but I, but I would always stay at the Marriott's cause you know, you get the points or whatever. So you stay at the Marriott and it's the same bar in every Marriott. Let's just be real. It's the same <laughs> restaurant bar, yes. some sort of name steakhouse thing, whatever they want to call it, the JW steakhouse or well, I don't know. It doesn't really matter what they call it, but and you sit there at the bar and the first thing you would do is, you know, you order your drink and you, you get your same old whatever food that you would normally eat because you know the menu already. And there's that moment where you, maybe you flip open your laptop because you are you feel uncomfortable. You feel like if you're there on a business trip, you got to be working. You have to be doing something if you're not being social. And so there'd be many times where I would just be like, I'd grab my food and take it to my room or, or do whatever because it, there was a, a place where I was uncomfortable, but I... I really think that's one of our greatest teachers and we shy away yeah. from it. We say, I don't want that teacher because it doesn't feel good. But I think that being uncomfortable is a very, very powerful teacher. And if we can just emphasize that any model, it doesn't matter what it is, whether you're picking up Pilates the first time, you're going to be uncomfortable on the reformer the first time, whether it's dynamics, you're going to, it might be uncomfortable the first time you go out to the sports bar to get wings, you, you know, coming to a yoga class, going rock climbing is going to be uncomfortable the first time because you don't understand the terms and the equipment. And, but that shouldn't stop us. You know, our path, is not a line in our life. It's not that Dharma I was just talking about is not a line. It might have some twists and turns and pauses and stops and rewinds, but you're never off your path. You're just simply looking in the wrong place. Keep looking forward and know that um, people like you exist that can help them get back. If they're continuing to look over their shoulder, they can look back. And if someone else is there holding their, you know, at least holding their hand a little bit saying, this way, this way, <laughs> keep coming this way. And you're saying you're talking about the discomfort. We know this from cold exposure, hormesis, yeah. right? A yeah. uh, little bit of stress, chronic stress, not great. A little bit of stress, really great. And really so great. when you're not drinking, the people that I work with, those first couple weeks can be, you know, they can really suck when you're kind of sweating and stuff from the detox, especially if you're drinking a lot before it started. But after that, like, the amount of time people have urges is about 10 minutes a week or less, mm. really. And so it's like, that's a little bit of stress, but it's pretty dang stressful. And how does that help you build resilience to tolerate those moments when you're uncomfortable and not change them to just stay, just stay and be available to yourself and don't abandon yourself and don't run away. Um, and just allow that to, to progress you forward. It's like, there's this period called the desert where you're just in this space where it feels like, okay, I'm not urging to drink all the time, but my brain chemistry hasn't exactly corrected itself. And maybe some friendships are feeling different and I don't quite know how to act. And I feel really good and things are going great in my life, but I'm still not where 
I haven't hit the magic yet. And it really tests your faith and it really tests your patience. But on the other side of the desert is that place where you're like, I feel great. And it can be translated to business. It can be translated to relationship. Like how many times have you want to take a risk in your business and you're like feeling so dysregulated because maybe you're going to ask for more money or maybe you're going to close something or start something new. And there's this period of time that's usually several weeks long or more where you're just like wrangling with it. But when you have the experience of going through something like this, you can utilize your stress tolerance in other ways. And all of a sudden your life is just better and better. And all of a sudden there's just no space for alcohol. There's just like, where would I even put it? So how does someone know that, that I guess identify if dynamics is good for someone, like someone's saying, I don't know if this is a good program for me. How do I know that that's something good for me? Can you give me a couple of bullet points where you could say, this is why this would be good for you as a person and maybe even disqualify some who might not be good for. So it's not going to be good for somebody who feels powerless to drinking. If that's where you are, you want to be talking to a mental health therapist, an addiction therapist. Um, But that's kind of my golden rule on it. Um, It's not for somebody who really doesn't like sharing or talking to people or, thinking about feelings, if that is like a huge turnoff for you, again, there are other ways to do this, but this is my way. So that's not going to be the dynamics will will maybe not be the space for you, though you probably need it. Don't Um, force yourself if you're, if you really are having a version of this kind of thing. Um, It's great for really, truly every and anyone. It is not a gendered program. We serve men and women and it's, All we ask, because we start with the dynamic January, is just a commitment to curiosity, openness, non-judgment, and and that's where we begin. It's just a beginning. It's just an invitation. And then from there, you get to choose if it's something you want to go further with. Um, But yeah, anyone making a choice to drink and not loving it. I've had people who drink once a month do it. I've had daily drinkers do it. So it really comes down to where you're at in your body and mind with your relationship to alcohol and how much of it feels like a choice and how much of it feels like I'm, I'm in a really, really, really devastating spot right now. You want to get a higher level of support than dynamics Mm -hmm. for sure. January is your big event and people yes. can learn about that by, can they go to your website for that? Or would you, would you yeah, mind Yeah. So where you want to look for that is my website is deep line health. That's deep, like deep water line, L I N E health.com slash 2024 to check out dynamics. So take a look. There's more information there. Early bird is open right now. And you can also get on my email list if you're not thinking about dynamics now, but you're interested in some other um, other ways we can engage or just want to stay in the loop um, on some of the things that I'm sharing. I do write a newsletter from time to time, an irregular newsletter. Um, I'm on it. Yes. Thank you for being on it. <laughs> I am on it. <laughs> so they, they can they can get to your newsletter through deeplinehealth.com also. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and upcoming workshops. Other than that, I know we know you and I have some that we that we can't quite talk about 
for next year with language of breath yet, but we are yes. accepting those who are interested in learning about breath work. Um, you know, we do, I have, I'll have a link for Katie and her website in, in the podcast description and including the one for uh, dynamics, but also there is a link for the language of breath course, which we just moved it over to a new teaching platform called Kajabi. Um, so it's moving off the of teachable, which I think I've, I think I've updated the link. I'm not sure, but I will on this next, I'll actually write it down, make sure that it's there, but we do have it. You can get to that through the language of breath collective.com and Katie's on there. My bio's on there too. Um, and also, uh, upcoming retreats. Do you have something coming up really soon that people can anticipate? I do with actually have or? something. Well, for my locals in, in Chicago, there's the October beach club, which you can see at deeplinehealth.com slash sober October. Um, but we also have a virtual, um, community class called peace, uh, peace within chaos. That's coming up on October 3rd. Mm. And you can see that at deeplinehealth.com slash peace. Um, that is uh, totally free. If you're new to the community, it's a great way to meet myself and the meditation guides. It's going to be a really nice experience. And after that, we're actually announcing, which I'll announce it here is a really cool virtual meditation retreat that we're doing. It's a um, Friday night gathering followed by a full day. It's an Osho, Osho Dondic meditation um, with a group transomatic dialogue. Um, if you haven't had an experience with that, it's uh, a way to get into some of your blocks, uh, parts of your personality that feel mm, like they're part of you, but maybe they're frustrating you and you kind of wish that you could maybe move it a little bit. You kind of get in there, address it move some blocks, and then we'll have an integration on Sunday. So it's like a full day mm. with two hours on either end. And that's coming in up in the end of October. So certainly get on the list. If that's something you're curious about, I would love to let you know when that's open for registration. That's all amazing. I, I you know, we have a lot of recovery um, centers here and where I live. And, and, and uh, you know, any kind of I wouldn't even say just recovery, but any kind of routines or habits that we do that take us away from ourselves are usually because we're either fearing what that looks like or the way that it feels uh, where it feels helpless or hopeless. And that's really the first steps into us feeling depressed. And we know what depression leads many to think and do. And the work that you're doing is allowing people to at least find community, at least find small bits of success and moving them in a place that's closer to looking like happiness, even if it's through places of challenge and discomfort. Yeah. And in in any kind of world, I, no matter what our world looks like in the future, it doesn't matter what our leaders, who's president and who's governor or senators or wherever we're at, none of that really matters if I'm happy. If I'm feeling happy and I'm feeling connected to myself, I don't care who's president. I don't care. I, I, it doesn't even really matter where I live. And really, as, as long as I feel this connection to myself, that changes everything. And I think that many who could be listening now, that's why they're listening to this is because they're saying, I do want to be an observer. I don't want to be a reactor. I want to be a person who is in control of my emotions. I want to still feel good. I want to find happiness. And um, 
I'm going to paraphrase this as we kind of close, but is, is a gentleman named Dan Millman. He wrote uh, a book called uh, The Peaceful Warrior, uh, mm-hmm. Path of the Peaceful Warrior. And in this particular book, he said that there is no path to happiness. You are the happiness. There is no path to love. You are the path to love. There is no path to peace. You are the path to peace. And it's essentially saying, I want peace, love, happiness, joy, abundance, success, a new car, whatever it is that you want, you have to be the path. And the path sometimes is in the people that we interact with or the the tools that we choose to use. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, I'm looking for something different in my life. Well, this may have come across your path for a reason. And it's worth tuning into as a place of inspired action saying, I'm at least going to go look at this because for some reason I listened to this podcast and it led me to thinking about, well, you know, maybe I could have a month without alcohol and maybe see how I feel, or maybe I could go into a Pilates reformer class and just have this connection to my shoulders that I keep saying that I have this injury for. So instead of saying one day I will, how about be your own path? be your path and realize that you have a whole, well, really a whole universe supporting you. You may not see it right now, but eventually when some of those blocks are taken down, you will feel it. So thanks for joining me today, Katie. I'm so glad I get to see you in your natural environment there. Um, You can find her at deeplinehelp.com and all the different slashes to the things that are coming up 2024 and uh, slash peace. And you can also find um, links to her work on the language of breath collective. Um, Katie's bio is there along with um, some of your stuff is on, on the, uh, the recorded tracks. I know I've seen some of that. Yes. So, yeah. So recorded, I'm in there. recorded tracks and, and so forth there. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be looking for, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm looking for a way that we can maybe introduce uh, dynamics. I keep saying dynamics, dynamics, <laughs> dynamics, dynamics in Utah, because um, I think that it would make a very massive impact, um, especially in some of the communities that are um, hurting, uh, that are hurting for ways connection backs to themselves through mm-hmm. our indigenous um, or Native American uh, reservations to in some of the communities that have been plagued with religious trauma. Mm. Um, I think that, that it would probably be a really, a really beneficial tool. So we'll chat more about that. Um, but in the meantime, thanks for joining today. And I can't wait to see you in the next place. I'm not going to give it away yet, but the next place that we go to <laughs> stay do, tuned. stay tuned where we go to do language of breath. Collective. So thank you, Ryan. Me today.